This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. When asked about the connection between her former life in fashion and her current life as an entrepreneur in the flower industry, Whitney Bromberg Hawkins says that she was always drawn to beauty. After spending many years behind the scenes at Gucci and at Tom Ford, Whitney did what many smart entrepreneurs in the making do. She set out to solve a problem. Hitting wholesale flower markets each morning before work in her stilettos, Whitney sensed a gap in what were the current flower delivery offerings and found a way to get what she needed. Her experience in fashion meant she was exposed to dramatically oversized single flower arrangements that were beautiful, and she wanted to bring that fashion designer aesthetic along with a convenient process to delivery to the masses. Flower Box was born. On this podcast, we discuss the shift in Whitney's career, the similarities and differences of her work then and now, how failure is an essential part of learning, working in a warehouse and working on glamorous events, being a global business, flower arranging tips, her most unusual requests, and more. And we end with a really great lightning round of her favorite things, including an item from Flower Box that is an absolute must-have for tabletop flower decor. I could have chatted forever with amazing entrepreneur Whitney Bromberg Hawkins. Hey, Whitney, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm in Soho, actually. Soho, Soho, Chinatown, sort of where Chinatown borders Soho in New York. I feel like you guys are starting to come back to life. Oh, we are. Yeah. Sure. See, we came back to life <laughs> and, and then, now we're going back indoors. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, New York feels very, very lively right now. Um, Everyone seems to be out and about and the whole like restaurant culture here is flourishing. There's just restaurants on the sidewalk everywhere you turn in New York City. So, yeah. Um, my first. I, yeah, I, I hate to be a downer, but we did that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, we well, did I that. Yeah, no, we did that. We were like that in sort of July and August. And now it's sort of we're paying the price. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm scared yeah. that that's what's going to happen here. But one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy the early fall. Enjoy the restaurants. Yes, we will. I am for sure. Whitney, why do you think people want and need flowers in their lives? Oh my gosh. Now more than ever, people need flowers in their life. It's, you know, flowers symbolize hope. They, they're beauty. There are so few ways you can show someone your love with a physical object better than flowers. I mean, I have to say flowers are the ultimate way to say, hey, I'm sorry you're sad. Hey, I miss you. I'm thinking about you. I wish I were with you. There's no physical object that conveys those sentiments um, more than flowers. And now that especially that we can't say those things in person, a lot of the times when we normally would have been able to, they sort of have a, more of a relevance, I think, than they've ever had. 
I've never really thought about it quite that way. I mean, those are both really good points. There's no other kind of physical object that can relay those sentiments quite like flowers do. And you're right when, you know, the second part of that question is, yes, like part two, you know, when you cannot be around and with people as much as we had in the past, at least temporarily. So um, flowers are such a great way to send a symbol to somebody, aren't they? Exactly. And they're really like a way to stay connected. To stay um, I connected. think we're all missing sort of connectivity right now. Um, and that is, I, I mean, just reading through, because I read through our customer service tickets every day, the number of people that cry when they get flowers right now, it's sort of like all of our nerves are sort of quite wow. exposed. So they, so getting this thing of beauty that symbolizes sort of hope, love, and beauty has a lot more impact, I think, than it's ever had. Um, that's really powerful. And that's great that you look through all the tickets. Um, speaking of connection, describe your connection to flowers in your own life before starting Flower Box. Um, I always, you know, I worked in fashion for 20 years before yes. I started um, Flower Box. So I worked for Tom Ford, the designer, and I guess I've yes. always been drawn to beauty um, and just how the ways that beauty, you know, essential or non-essential beauty can sort of become an essential part of your life and actually improve the quality of your life. Uh, so I wasn't, I loved flowers, but the same way I loved a beautiful meal or beautiful perfume or anything that sort of had this this aesthetic quality but um you know so many people ask me they're like oh did you always want to be a florist I'm like no I never <laughs> wanted to be a florist and now more than ever I definitely do not want to be a florist but it was more that I saw um it was a solution for something that I couldn't find in my life yes. um you know I was a working mom at that point of two children I now have three and I was buying everything in my life online um, so I was buying my clothes online, my beauty online, my, you know, amazing farm fresh groceries online. But right. if I wanted to buy flowers, because I was having a few friends over for dinner, you know, I didn't want a bouquet. I just wanted 10 hydrangea on a side table. Right. Um, I found myself going to the equivalent of the flower market in New York, um, in London, yes. uh, in a pencil, in a pencil skirt and stilettos, <laughs> because I obviously had to be Tom ready at nine o'clock in the morning. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, right. And I didn't want to go to a florist and spend three times too much money on them. I love that. And I love that description that you, you know, I, I, I would think I get it in that moment where here you are in the flower district and the flower market, like ready for work in this outfit. It sort of occurs to you like <laughs> kind of how ridiculous it is. I mean, it's great that you, you are being resourceful. Like a lot of creatives are, we're resourceful, right? We want what we want and we know where to find it. But I could see how that sort of pointed to the bigger picture. Um, and you, you went from working in fashion to becoming an entrepreneur and working with flowers. So let's go back. How did you make your way into the fashion industry? Um, it, I was so lucky. I, gra I went to school in New York at Columbia and I graduated with a degree in French literature. Um, I studied French in college too. I minored in it. In it. Oh, look at us. So you yes. can do something with a French yes. degree. <laughs> yep. You, yes, you can. My it, parents, was, it, was, it was particularly um, handy for me because I covered the Paris market uh, when I was an editor um, at a magazine. So my French came in handy during fashion week for sure. Exactly. And mine came in handy. So I graduated. I was sure I was going to move to Paris and work at French Vogue. That was sort of the fantasy. Um, but Worth. I, <laughs> I <got laughs> Why not? 
and French folk did not hire me. That was the caveat to my plan. Uh, but I did get a job in the in the press office at Gucci working as Tom's PA. Uh, so it was better than French Vogue. It was actually like the job that launched my entire life and career. That's right. And what kinds uh, let's what kinds of things were you doing as a PA for Tom Ford at the time? Oh, you as were... lowly as you can possibly go. I mean, I would walk picking up to dry that, cleaning that kind of thing. Dry cleaning. I'd get the lunch. I'd walk to La Durée and like walk down the street with a tray in my hands. I mean, it was in high heels, of course. <laughs> but I, um, uh, from like meeting the cable guy at the house, um, right? Too like as as basic as you can. Oh, I've about. been there. I've been there. Um, what was the most difficult aspect of your job then in the beginning? I think the most, well, first of all, working with French people, um, no offense to any French people out there, but trying to get stuff done in a city that does not lend itself to getting stuff done was definitely a challenge. Um, but I think also the most, why I was really good at my job and the diff most difficult part of the job was understanding when sort of to escalate something with Tom, when to make it go away on my own, you know, right. with certain people, when was a good time, you know, if the design, the women's design team needed a yes answer on something, it was sort of finding the right time to ask the question to get them the yes. Yes, so learning, about the, learning about the nuance and all that communication that you are part of, right? Like when to, you know, learning um, sort of how to, how to deal with, all the politics, right? Exactly. And I was sort of an ambassador. I felt like for Tom and an ambassador for the people that needed to get things out of Tom. So my role was very much sort of a facilitator. And um, that takes a certain sort of sensitivity and perceptiveness um, or perception um, to get it right. And so what would you say was the most rewarding part of your work in fashion and particularly in the beginning? Um, the, the, I mean, I think the most rewarding parts were that Tom is an amazing person that he always, I mean, he lets you grow. So I went from being, you know, this PA getting the lunch down the road to, I, I ended up as the director, you know, the um, senior vice president of communications for Tom Ford. So I think working for someone that lets you grow and reward sort of talent and hard work is extremely gratifying. Um, and that's why, you know, my husband has worked for Tom now for 25 years. And I think it's because he's been allowed to grow. He's been allowed to realize his potential. And that's what a really good boss is, is someone who lets you um, keep growing and keeps rewarding it. So, yes. and I think the most, you know, the most rewarding thing about working in fashion was really the relationships. Yeah. I think whoever says people in fashion are fickle is completely wrong because right. they are so loyal and they are so behind me now. And I feel like, all of those relationships that, um, you know, I, I put so much into, they are all so real um, and have been so critical to the success, the early success of Flower Box. And you, you worked for Tom for about 19 years, correct? So a I long did. time. So that, talk about loyalty, right? Well, for both of us. Yes. Yes. And how were how flowers part of your world then in working for a fashion brand? Um, so that was the part two of the solution that Flower Box was. I found myself like, you know, all, all of us who work in fashion, I, I needed to send flowers to so-and-so in New York. And then I needed to send flowers to Karine in Paris. And I needed to send flowers to, who, you know, yes. 
whoever on the flowers is is a big thing in fashion for people that may not know about in the fashion industry there's always there there are multiple reasons to send flowers and we do it's sort of like a language and it is it's like and you know and i would look on the morning of tom's show literally every single show there would be Carl's flowers that would come in and they would be white orchids. And then Anna's, you know, pale pink roses would come in. And there was almost a signature to these flowers that would come in that I knew, you know, Calvin would send these massive bunch of white calla lilies and I would watch him come in. I'm like, there's Calvin's, there's Karine's, there's, and I knew, you know, Ricardo's was always deep, deep, deep red roses. So I knew, so I was like, how come it's so hard to get this? To, yes. you know, I was on the phone with Floris being like, I don't want a wild, um, you know, field bouquet. I don't want filler. I don't want baby's breath. I don't want a lot of leaves. I just want beautiful, pure flower. And it was so hard to get that. Um, yes. Yes. That's true is sort of those types of arrangements. Well, first of all, every, what you were noticing was that, you know, all the, you were noticing the personalities of all of these yes. flowers that came in, you know, and I actually have a few questions for you later on in the podcast about that. But, um, but yes, you would get these arrangements that would sort of, right, spell out the personality of the person and the brand and in, in an impactful way, because they were this, these oversized arrangements of a singular bloom, correct? Exactly, exactly. And how much like sort of everyone had a signature and what they were sending and what it said about them. But then I found because of the florist model and the way, you know, florists work, they send whatever they have, because they have to get rid of it. So even if you say I'd like to send 40 white peonies, that's it. They sort of mix some peonies with some white roses with a little bit of green to make it look like it was something. So I was constantly disappointed by what I was sending. And a lot of times it was on behalf of Tom you know, and he'd get a picture and he's like, that's not what I told you to send. And I'm like, that's not what I said to the florist, you know, but the florist, Uh, they sell what they, they send what they have. That's right. That's right. And right. It's that they're using their inventory. I'm curious, uh, how did the flowers in the world of Tom Ford differ from those at Gucci? What was the difference in Tom's taste for himself rather than like the Gucci flower look? Oh, they didn't differ at all because Gucci it was didn't. Tom. Yeah. Gucci was Tom. There was. I no was just Gucci. wondering if there was any sort of Gucci ness that was happening in any flower design that you guys did there, as opposed to what you know Tom just did for, you know Tom Ford. No, I would say that it was more like the vessels because you know in the nineties ah. at Gucci it was sort of like that sort of really minimal black cube that was right. sort of prevalent. So I think it was more how they were presented. But I think Tom's signifiers have always been um, his signifiers. Right. Can you remember the exact moment you decided you wanted to switch careers and switch gears? I I can remember sort of the month. I had just found out I was pregnant with my third child. I was turning 40. um, And Tom had always said to me, like, forever and ever, and he says this all the time, it's one of his mantras, is you have to have a 10-year plan. You have to have a 10-year plan. And I had such a clear 10-year plan in my 20s that it was like, work, work, work at all costs, just work, build my career. And then in my 30s, my plan was to obviously further my career and um, to have a family. And then I was like, God, this isn't really my 10 year plan. Like my forties are not going to be, um, you know, seating editors at fashion shows who were getting younger and younger and getting sort of more <laughs> annoying. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that it's was so more funny. like influency. And they were it's like, so I don't funny. we all talk about this. All of us, all of us fashion industry veterans all have the same opinion. It's really, it's wild. 
Yeah, and they complained, and I was like, I just don't care. It wasn't, I couldn't yeah. even pretend. No one cares, care. yeah. Yeah, and then it was like, I'd be running to get Tom a Diet Coke, you know, I'm pregnant and heels. I'm like, is this really what I'm going to be doing when I'm 50? And yes. so I think those, that, um, and then having the idea, it was a little bit like, it's now or never. Yes, yes. I felt, I, I actually felt the same way in my career. I'd worked for magazines for most of it. And I felt the same way as you did. I was like, I, I you know, I, I knew that I did not imagine myself running around town, taking pictures of fashion collections, like for my entire career. And I remember just thinking that the way that we were working in print magazines was feeling a bit antiquated. And now was the time to make that pivot and make that change and start a digital publication where you can shop the pages of a magazine online. So- Wasn't I, it terrifying? It- it was, but it was, of course it was. Well, it was, it was less terrifying than it was. How do you do this? Like how, I had to teach myself. I had, and, and the digital space was a little bit different. Cause this was like if, in 2012, I had to teach, I had to figure out and teach myself. How do you go about building a website and how do you make a website that is part e-commerce site, but also a magazine. And so the challenge in the beginning was like, how, who do I, how do I find these resources uh, and the right ones, A, and then B, how do I get these developers to think less technically and think about this in terms of a publication and think a little more creatively? So um, that was kind of the challenge for me in the beginning. But, um, but so that's basically for you, you, you were this loyal fashion executive for years and what were what would you say you were hungering for as you began to feel that it was time for a change? You know, you said that you couldn't imagine doing the same things that you were doing, that the fashion kind of fashion show landscape was changing. Was there something that you were hungering for at the time that was coming through? Yeah, I think independence. So not having to ask permission yes. to do things. I think I just sort of felt like an adult. And I'm like, why am I saying, can I go to my kids play? I've, I'm going to do my job. Right. <laughs> I always do right. my job. Um, so I think independence, but I think um, also feeling like any success was mine. I felt like every single thing I did well, it was for Tom's success. Um, right. And I wanted to own my success and own my failure so that, um, which I <laughs> definitely own my failure and my success now. <laughs> right? I'm like, watch uh, what you wish for. Right, 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 right. That's really interesting. Um, did you face a lot of critics for wanting to leave and wanting to start this new concept sort of flower business? And if so, who and why was that happening to you? No, you know what? I was so surprised because I thought after I when I told like all, all my friends and when I told everyone was like, I was doing it I thought so many people would be like what are you doing you've got the best job right like, what are course. you thinking everyone's yeah. like finally oh <laughs> everyone's, interesting. interesting everyone's like it's about time I love that what do you think is the most radical difference between working as a fashion executive then and doing what you do now what's the biggest change for you Oh, I think the complete lack of any sort of luxury. I mean, I work in a warehouse. It is cold. I bought like the team a toilet after our last fundraise. Like that wasn't down the road. I mean, I work yeah. in a warehouse. Yeah, you're like working have... with plants and flowers, yeah. right? Yeah, I like don't have a velvet sofa in my office with like right. a, a candle burning at all times and a beautiful like single orchid. Um, right. I think not having support, um, you know, if – 
I, I can't call the office manager. I am the office manager. That's I right. can't call. <laughs> like if the yeah. alarm goes off, guess who's getting up at three in the morning and going to see what's going on. There's no, I, I think having a big corporate structure on which to rely where the receptionist is going to get the FedEx package, you know, just a, a, a structure, I think. Every, everything starts and ends with you. Earlier, you were saying something along the lines of like, you don't really want to be working in the flower industry right now. I'm curious as to what exactly you meant by that. No, I think, you know, I, I don't want to be a florist. I'm still not don't a florist. want to be a florist, um, right. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, it's, I mean, you've got to really be dedicated because it's an early morning job. It's a freezing job. It's a yeah. late night job. It's a kind hanging what you're from the rafters about. job. I mean, it's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I think a lot of young girls come in the office and they're like, I've always wanted to be a florist. I'm like, okay, you've got to really want to be a florist to be a florist. Um, so I, it was more the business that excited me and the, yeah. um, creating the solution than, than actually yeah. being a florist. And what do you think is most similar today to um, your job as a fashion executive then? What are the similarities there? Oh, I think hard work, like really tireless hard work. Because people in fashion, I don't think, get credit for how hard they work. Oh, um, 100%. Yeah. So I think the work ethic is definitely similar. I think the rewards are similar too. Because, you you know, you like that night, you stay up all night the night before the show, you know, you do it, you get the adrenaline rush of the runway moment, and then it's just the best feeling in the world when it all comes together in the most perfect way. And I feel like I get a lot of those highs with flowers too. Um, and then working with beauty, I think yes. is, is um, you know, it's frustrating, it's exhausting, but the reward for all of us, I think is always worth it. As an entrepreneur, you often face moments where something needs to get done and you have to problem solve by looking outside of yourself and outside of your own skill set and be comfortable with it. How has that played out for you with Flowerbox? That sort of notion where you might had to outsource um, or those moments when you had to outsource things. I mean, I'm sure just building the business, you had to figure, like I was, I was saying earlier about having to actually like figure out how to build a website and how to build the right kind of website. What, what are the things that you've, you know, in the beginning maybe that you felt like you had to look outside of yourself to try to source and bring in? Um, so much, honestly, yes. because oh, like right. I'm working in flowers, but I'm also working in logistics about which I know nothing. I'm working in tech about which, you know, I have, I, and now I know something, but about which I had no training. I'm working in cold chain logistics about which I knew nothing. I'm working in perishability about, so literally I didn't know anything anything. And I've had to out, you know, I'm so lucky now that we have the resource to have a team of someone who specializes in logistics and she's a ninja. I have someone who specializes in the operation and he's amazing. Uh, there's someone who specializes in all the things I don't specialize in. So I'm super lucky now, but at the beginning it was just really scrappy and I can't say I did all of it well. So you just sort of figured out who you had might have connections to and tried to find the best people. Yeah. And failed a lot, to be honest. Yeah. That's what happens, right? Yeah. Which I got let down a lot by people and was like hired the wrong people <laughs> many times. Yes. yes. Which important skills learned and relied upon in your former life in fashion do you think you brought, have brought to Flowerbox? Um, I think creating sort of desire around an object is something that fashion people do very well. And I've been able to apply that to flowers. Um, mm -hmm. 
So whether it's how you present them, how you editorialize them, how you tell the story is very much a fashion gift that I think I've um, applied to flowers. I think creating a brand is something that no one's ever done with flowers. It's always like a bit loosey goosey. Um, mm. And I really want to create a like a signature flower brand whereby you get a consistent product, a consistent offering. If you're ordering in LA or if you're ordering in Paris or you're ordering in London that you can tell it's flower box because of the ribbon, because of the wrapping, because of the note card, because of the consistency of quality, because of every single aspect that makes it different than any other flower delivery. Yes. And I think that kind of consistency and branding and brand message is also something that I think is drilled into sort of a fashion person's brain, you know, a hundred percent. When I look at everything, I'm like, how did we do it the last time? We have to do it the same way. Like, how do we, you know, what copy do we use? What, you know, you, you're always trying to make sure that it's saying something consistent, I think. Right. Totally. And the way like you go to Gucci in Shanghai or in Dallas, right. Texas, you're getting, you know, the store staff has on the same uniform and they probably have on the same perfume and the same eyeglasses. And you get that sort of consistent experience that defines a brand. And with flowers, you basically, you know, it's all so haphazard. Um, well, it was. Yes. How exactly did you aim to change the approach to flowers and flower delivery in the beginning? And how have the business model and the goals morphed today? Um, well, funnily, I always thought really big about it. I mean, back to what I was saying, I didn't leave my amazing career um, to open sort of a London florist. It was always going to be an international sort of- <laughs> I get of, it completely. Like, it was if I'm going to, be... to do it, I'm going to do it right. You have to exactly, do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was always going to be international. It was always going to be global. It was always going to be big. I mean, we've raised you know quite a bit of money and I think so many people are like, why didn't, why don't you go for profitability before growth? And I'm like, because the growth is, the growth is what makes this what I want it to be. Right. Um, because the fact that you can now order in LA, you can order in New York, you can order in London, you can order in Paris, you can order in Munich, you can order in Berlin. For me, that's what Flowerbox had to be for it to be, um, to like live up to its potential. Yes, that that was actually one of my questions for you. About was was going to be why was being a global company important to you? And do you think it's because you worked in fashion and because you worked in fashion and so internationally, like from the beginning, an international um, offering was what had had to be part of this, right? I think so, but also just as someone who's lived in different cities, I think we've all been on the other side of calling who's the best florist in Boston, yes. Googling best flo luxury florist in Boston, being like, oh, I guess their website looks okay. But I was like, <laughs> how come we can't just say, uh, you know, you know, you go to Interflora, you know, it's going to be gross. Right. Why don't we have a, you go to Flowerbox and you're going to get these amazing, beautiful, fresh flowers with great value um, in a really great way. You knew that the clients you wanted were all over the world, right? Yes. And they had friends or they had an auntie who was here or they had an uncle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you believe that starting a business didn't, I mean, you said that it was overwhelming, but it wasn't overwhelming enough. I mean, what is it about your personality that allowed you to take on and tackle the challenge? Oh, it's pretty overwhelming. <laughs> it is, but you, you know, a lot of people stop at that point in time. They stop... That's, you know, the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody that, you know, um, maybe attempts to be one and, and realizes it's not for them. What do you think pushed you through the overwhelm? 
And well, I think, yeah, that's a good, I mean, I think being tenacious is key because so many people, as you know, would just be like, forget this, you know? So have being tenacious, I think being really hardworking, um, is essential. So I feel like so many people are like, I want to start my own thing. It's like, be prepared to work harder than you've ever worked in your entire life. Um, and do you think those values were instilled in you before you even started your first job? The, the, the work, the work ethic, the work hard. Um, I think so. Yes. I think so. Cause I don't think I would have made the success out of my job with Tom if I, if I hadn't have been, you know, I, he used to come in the office at like seven 30, he'd show up and he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, here I am. And then he, you know what I mean? I was always yeah. there cause there was nowhere I wanted to be. Um, and I was always available. And I think if I didn't have that work ethic, I wouldn't have gone as far with him as I did. And would you say you grew up that way, seeing that around you? I guess so. Yeah. What do you look for in people yourself, Whitney? Is there something that's key when hiring for the company or entering into a business partnership or relationship? Um, yes. Uh, and now I'm just really honest too when I interview people because I think I hired so many people in the first couple of years that um, I felt lucky to have them. Um, because I, I was starting, I was trying to convince them that we were going to be great. Now I'm like very honest. It, you need to be an overachiever. You need to want, I mean, you need yeah. to, to be someone who loves to work, who loves the rewards of working hard. You need to be someone's extremely dedicated. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not nine to five. I mean, we all have an incredible story we're telling right now and you either want to be part of that or you don't. So I think I'm a lot more upfront now than I was. And that's the kind of people I'm looking for. And I'm so lucky that is the team of people I'm surrounded with. Now. I'm sure, I'm sure it makes all the difference in the world to sort of put that out there before you bring, you know, before you take on people, you know, just put it out there. You know, this is this, we're looking for people who go above and beyond, you know, exactly. Uh, what are the challenges of having and looking to expand an international business? Um, I, th I think the, the biggest challenges were launching the East Coast of the U.S. Um, because that was totally unchartered territory. Now, with our launch of the West Coast in the past week, I think a lot of the teething pains we worked out for the, the ah, East Coast launch, we yes. sort of ironed through. So now I'm going to knock on wood, but we have sort of almost a plug and play um, rule book of how to launch a new territory. And I think we got through a lot of the hardest bits when we launched the East Coast. Congratulations. That must really feel like a relief in a lot of ways, you know, that you sort of worked it out um, the first time. And now with the West Coast, it's been a, a, a little bit of smoother sailing, right? Yeah, except we're doing it remotely, which is not without its challenges. <laughs> All right, and then, then there's that whole... <laughs> there's always a curveball, yes. So Whitney, when you travel for work, where do you need to be and for what reasons typically? Um, well, I, I did travel a lot to New York and to Paris, um, mainly because it was to sort of wake up those markets in the way that, you know, going to meet with the brands, because, you know, whether it's like going to meet with Chanel, going to meet with Dior, going, no one can sell what we're doing the way I can, because I believe in it so much. Yes. And it's so yes. in my blood. So it was getting those sort of big players on board. And then um, the magic sort of started to work itself. I'm curious, just to segue, segue completely. I'm curious if you think that specific varietals of flowers say something about the client who chooses them. Oh, 100%. What is it? What, what, I mean, are, do, when you think of flowers, do you think of a certain, certain type of person with each flower? How does that work? 
No, but it's funny because we have this thing on our website called Flower Bombs, which I just yes. sort of take these really cool, inspirational women. And the same way yes. you would be like, walk me through your wardrobe. You're like, Very hey, cool. talk me through your flower choices. And it's so funny, the answers that come out, because they're like, they say so much about the person and so much you wouldn't expect. I mean, I remember Sabine Getty uh, is one of our Flower Bombs. And she wanted really bright colored daisies all over her house. And I'm like, like gerbras. And I'm like, oh, those are so naff. And like, that's just not a chic flower. But sure enough, like you put them in her environment and put them in her crazy sort of kooky vases. And they were the chicest thing I've ever seen. So I think, um, and then I remember Julia Reutfeld was like, oh, I like red roses for my lovers. And I was like, (laughs) only Julia could say I like red roses for my lovers and make that seem like it was the most desirable thing in the world. So I think, um, I think flowers do say a lot about a person um, Mm -hmm. and define a lot about their personality. When choose speaking of of that, when choosing flowers and designs for a top client, let's say a fashion client like a Chanel or a Prada, rather than a hotel like the Mark, how often are you relied upon to use your expertise and taste to match the flowers to the brand? Or do brands as such come in knowing exactly what they want? Most of them have a very strong sort of visual um, like guidelines that they have to follow. Um, so yeah, so it's like Chanel has its signifying flowers. Dior's always pale pink roses or pale pink. You know, we have sort of a Dior menu. Um, so most of them have their own, they have their own brand identity and flowers. I love it. Each has a menu. Descri- mm-hmm. Can you describe, I, I love this though. This, this is so great. Describe all the convenient delivery options that Flower Box has. So good. There's like delivery there's pickup isn't there there's there's a bunch of different options for people gosh do we have convenient delivery i feel like it's not convenient enough i feel like we need hours that's why you are who you are always (laughs) trying to make this you know this better right i mean we have same day obviously we have next day and then we have a much bigger menu if you order three days out you can and we um sort of those are all cut to order so we have and and we can do time delivery slots but they're not part of our standard service, which I find annoying as a consumer, because I want to know exactly the minute they're arriving. Um, But we'll get there. We're getting closer. I was going to say, is there a way to do that? Yeah, there is. And that comes with volume, um, basically, because you need, obviously, the density in the vehicles. It's boring, but we're getting there. It comes with economies of scale. So we're, we're getting closer. That's exciting. What would you say is the biggest challenge you face having a company that has all of these type of delivery capabilities? Is there a challenge that comes with like offering so many ways to deliver? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is the sort of perishability and fragility of flowers, uh, which maybe if I had known. About, I didn't I really realize that perishability it. is like, you know, well, I did realize. Obviously. It's like dying the second you hold it, the second you're like, it's in your yes. hands and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, so I think that's the biggest challenge. Tell me about flower box events. This must be such a fun part of the job. Gosh, it was. I hope it comes back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it will. I think so too. Um, it it's so much fun because you're telling an entire story, like taking a client's um, what they're trying to convey. You're 
conveying it in flowers. Um, but I think what's also been really amazing for us with our events is they've really been a great marketing tool. So the client's paying us, then the client's talking about us, then all the clients are seeing it and they're all like, oh, flower box. So it was a really great way to showcase sort of the amazingness of our flowers and our brand. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Does any one particular event come to mind in terms of one that was most beautiful, one that you were in awe of? What, did, what were the flowers that you did for it? Oh, yeah. So the most amazing by far was we did um, for Louis Vuitton in Paris in the Chateau de Versailles. So oh. it was like, first of all, being there on Sunday morning at five in the morning, like you're like, I'm alone in Versailles. Um, yes. 30 yes. meter floral chandelier down um, L'Orangerie, which was just mind blowing. It was That's mind blowing. So Honestly, beautiful. Right. And like such a privilege to be in that sort of French um, you know, historic, beautiful place. So yeah. that was amazing. Um, it's just—it's a moment of a lifetime, really. Forget about, you know, it, it's just a moment of a lifetime, right? Yeah, it really was. What, what were the flowers that you did for it? Do you it remember? was like, it was, yeah, it was quite jungly. So it was like a lot of green and then beautiful orchids in the chandelier. It was just, it. It, it was amazing. Jungly. Um, you're supplying flowers, as we say, Vuitton, many others we've, we've mentioned, we've talked about. You're supplying flowers for some extremely important events at Versailles, uh, for example, and clients where a lot is at stake. Can you name a few of those clients and scenarios besides the one that you just mentioned with Versailles and Vuitton? Oh, we did this amazing um, right before lockdown event with Chanel at the MoMA that was um, extraordinary. Just the most beautiful flowers we've done. We're so, we're so lucky because we've worked with the most incredible brands. We did. I don't know if you saw the front of Annabelle's nightclub in, um, it's a members club in London yes, on Barclay Square. And we did the full facade of that, which was 25,000 flowers. Um, gorgeous. And what was amazing is it was like, every single person in London. It's one of the most iconic squares in London. So it sort of had this amazing virality and we were quite new at this point. So it went, it sort of put us on the map, I think as. Um, really yeah. When you're doing something so impactful on that scale, it's like you cannot help but turn heads, right? Exactly. Um, so how do you handle the pressure that comes with that? These sort of extremely important events, extremely important clients, a lot's at stake. How do you handle pressure? there? Well, I do have an amazing team. Um, and I'm, again, so lucky because they take a lot of it. it. A lot of it disappears, I think, before it gets escalated to me, if you know what I mean. Like yes. there's a lot of problem solving that goes on behind the scenes. Um, yes. So, and I think, well, a lot of our team has worked in fashion too. So they're very used to that sort of last minute problem solving element to, to life. That's interesting. Yep. That, that, you know, like the heel fell off the shoe or the, oh, dad, yeah. this came in wrong, all the oh, things yeah, the like, night before the show yeah. that um, we all just sort of fix or the shoot's wrong or the weather's wrong. It's raining and the models, you know, all of the things. So um, I'm lucky. Well, having, I have an amazing team. And having I got, people that having people that have worked in that world is, I could see why that would be like, a, a, you know, core to kind of the team that you have at flower box. Um, yes. Do you have any tips for people who are buying and arranging their own flowers? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you get asked that a ton of times, but is there anything that people may not think about when um, purchasing yes. flowers for themselves? So I think, first of all, like keep your flowers tonal, I have to say, because yeah. I think where everyone goes wrong is like mixing 
in different colors. Like if you have all pinks, they're gonna look pretty. Um, do you know what I mean? I would yeah. also say keep single stem bunches because it's really hard to go wrong if you have one type of flower. That's true. Um, back to the gerber daisy story. You know, if you put all gerber daisies in a like nice chic vase, it's going to look beautiful. And it's really hard to um, prove that rule wrong. Even like sunflowers, I resisted sunflowers selling them on the site for so long. The team really wanted to, and now we sell them, and I love them, and they yes, make me so I know. happy. I had that aversion to sunflowers too, and I and I I've been buying them lately just because I think, yeah, I I don't know why I was buying them lately. I think I needed like a certain bulk of a flower, I, whatever it was, and I'm like, you know what? Actually, sunflowers are quite pretty. Right? Yeah, they're quite chic if you put them in a, in a nice vase and they're you you know they're alone um, in yes. single stem bunches. Absolutely, yeah. Tonal single stem is key, um, and then seasonal. It's like food. You know, if you eat asparagus when it's in season, it tastes amazing, and if you eat it when it's out of season, it's like yeah. Yeah. So I think um, the seasonal aspect is key. What particular? What has been particularly striking to you? Has there been anything that you discovered or learned working in the flower industry through the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, we talked about the fact that events are no longer, but is there anything that you've learned or discovered during this time? Yeah, I think it's reinforced the fact that flowers are giving and getting flowers is a truly emotional, almost transcendental experience. Um, and I think back to everyone's nerves being really exposed and, and emotion being really heightened. I think that has, you know, been more reinforced than ever. Um, I think the commitment of the team, of my team has been amazing. You really see like everyone step up when you're working yeah. against all odds, you know, cause we delivered throughout, which was definitely not without its challenges, but I was really amazed that everyone sort of worked harder and delivered more. Yes. And you've expanded, Whitney, to accessories, to room sprays, candles. Are there any new categories you're looking to add that you're able to share? Well, we're adding a new candle for the holidays. Yay, um, also, it? it's eucalyptus. Oh, I love eucalyptus. And it's so yeah. delicious, this scent, because it's, it's delicious. Um, uh, we're also launching a lot of new wreaths and sort of... Um, like table decorations. Cause I think it's going to be a lot about the table this Christmas and, and sorry, I agree. season and sort of being at home and making your home beautiful. I love that. I love oh. having that as a resource. That's going to be beautiful from you. I can't wait to see what that looks like. Um, and Christmas trees we're selling um, in the UK. I'm not sure if we're selling them in New York yet. I hope um, that's TBC, but um, yeah, there's a lot of newness coming for the oh, holidays. If we do, I'll get, I'll get our tree from, from you then. Thank that, you. That's so fun. I love that. Uh, so Whitney, we, we, I have more questions for you. We wrap with a lightning round. First, our space is in a loft where Chinatown borders Soho, as I mentioned, in New York. Without knowing anything else, what flowers would you choose for our space? I think right now, hydrangea, because hydrangea have a lot of volume. They're sort of architectural, but also um, they do take a sort of good amount of space. That's what I would say. How do you keep them alive longer? Oh, they just, you, they, they go so quickly. Not if you buy flower box hydrangea. I need to send uh -huh. you some. Um, if you trim the stems upward, so yep. you trim them, trim the stems and then trim them upward vertically, it allows them to drink more. So that helps um, prolong their lives. Also change the water every day and re-trim the stems every day. They'll last like three or four days longer. 
Perfect. Most unusual event or request Flower Box has received? Uh, we had to send 5,000 roses to someone's house, which was um, definitely not the easiest to transport, but super impactful. We yeah. also, last weekend, we did, we had to do a big rose heart on a bed and then in a hotel lead up to the room <laughs> with rose petals, which was sort of cheesy, but sort of really romantic. But you always wonder about that in real life. Like you see that in the in films and on TV. I, I love that you had to actually take part in that in real life. That's great. It was in Paris too, which sort of added <laughs> to the it was like really <laughs> perfect perfect it's like it's from a movie what fragrance do you wear daily um i wear fraca mm -hmm. favorite brand for children's clothing amaya uh, which is a brand in london it's a spanish brand in london so sweet brand of bedding uh the white company because chrissy's a very good friend and she's been such a big like sort of mentor to me oh good what are you buying to wear this fall? Celine and Tom Ford, of course. Yay. Um, anything specific from each? Um, I have my eye on these sort of Celine blouses that have a high neck and they're just quite good for a Zoom, quite good at being comfortable but dressed at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And then cozy cashmere. We have to dress for Zoom these days, 100%, right? We do. It's all about the <laughs> collar and the neck. Yep. Favorite three restaurants in the world? River Cafe in London. Um, oh my gosh. So Casa Cruz, which he's opening a restaurant in New York very soon, um, like any minute. And oh my gosh. I have so many favorite restaurants in New York, but now I'm just um, blanking. Name, name a couple. Oh. Um, King Restaurant in New York is my favorite in New York, my like, new favorite in New York. Perfect. Favorite city in the world? Oh, I'm torn. Uh, London. London, right. Um, we'll come, what's, a, what's a close second to London? Paris. Yeah. Without the French. Yeah. <laughs> You're having a dinner party at home. Describe the flowers, the food, the drink, and the table. Okay, the table is people I love. I'm so over having like people I'm trying to impress or people I don't really like over. It's all about love. And I think now more than ever, it's about people that really make you feel great about life. Um, so it's surrounded with people I love. It's simple. It's seasonal. Um, I'm not into like having a souffle at the end of a dinner party. I think we all um, are sort of, we like to leave dinner and not feel enormous either. So it's healthy, it's seasonal. Um, I happen to be vegan, but it's sort of a veggie dinner. Um, a lot what would, of- What's, name a typical veggie dinner that you would do for a dinner party. So I do like veggie lasagna and a big salad. Everyone helps themselves. Um, music in the background, a lot of wine. Everyone's glass full all the time. Um, what music and, are you playing? Well, it starts with like, um, you know, just sort of backgroundy music and then like ends with Beyonce by like nice. 10 o'clock. <laughs> nice. And describe the flowers. Um, again, I like to keep it one color. So it's a lot of flowers. I think, especially mm. now that I own a flower company, I feel like right. I disappoint people if I don't have a lot of flowers. Um, you want to put them everywhere in the entry, in the powder rooms, right? Everywhere. Exactly. Everywhere. Um, and 
I love we we have these Bailey Bud faces on the site that make it they're just so sweet. And if you put them down the table with different colors of either, you know, pink flowers right now, it's Dahlia for sure. Oh, I love to do that. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. They're so good. And they make like, honestly, you buy a set of Bailey bud faces and 10 stems of any flower and they look like your table's done. Sort of. Right. Done. Um, You're done. And you can, you can like then do it with red flowers for Christmas or red berries for, you know, Christmas. Or you can do it with, you know, beautiful burnt, amber flowers for Thanksgiving. And you're just, it's sort of a foolproof way to do a tablescape. That's a great tip. Skincare item you can't live without. Um, I love everything by Dr. Barbara Sturm. Everything. I'm a total junkie. Yes. Hand wash. I'm I'm a big, I'm big into like beautiful hand wash. Do you have a good- Aesop. It's like Aesop for me or nothing. I just don't think anyone's done better. Yes. What are you reading? Um, I wish, oh, no, I'm not. I just, I'm about to start a book, but no, I just finished the Netflix book, which was so good called That Will Never Work. And it was very sort of relevant. Yes. What are you watching? Anything binging that you're binging or watching? Or Yes, that- I'm watching um, I May Destroy You, which is wicked. I, I just finished it. it. I finished it two days ago. Isn't it so good? It's so good. I was actually interviewing a writer, director, Rachel Lee Goldenberg, and it had been on my list like all summer. And she talked to me about how she just finished it. And she's like, you have, so I said, should I, it's on my list. Should I get into it now? And she literally was like, it would be a mistake if you didn't start watching. (laughs) So I watched the entire thing and finished it um, two days ago. It's so great. And isn't she so cool and so beautiful? She is so so She's like otherworldly. Yeah. She's I know. She's something. I'm so talented. Okay. Last question. Go-to flower you are personally loving right now. Dahlia. Dahlia. They're so pretty. They're just so, they're perfect. They're gorgeous. It's like the peony of the early fall. Yes. Whitney, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh. I've loved it. I could chat to you forever. I know. Um, thank you for making it so much fun. We need it. We need another hour, but we'll do it again maybe sometime when you're when when Flower Box is on to their next next big thing. Okay, maybe we can do it in person sometime soon. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>